You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, I'm Ann Hornaday, Chief Film Critic of the Washington Post, and welcome to Washington Post Live. Today, I'm joined by Bruna Papandrea, founder and CEO of the production company Made Up Stories, as well as executive producer of a new Amazon limited series, The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart. Bruna, welcome. Hi, Anne. How are you? It's good to see you. You too. I hear you're joining us today from Australia, so I know it's <laughs> early where you are. Thank you for making the time. It's okay. Um, this is a limited series based on Australian author Holly Ringland's best-selling debut novel, The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart. Obviously, adapting novels has become your wheelhouse. I mean, you've just been behind so many amazing book adaptations. Um, tell us about this project. When did you know you just had to adapt this book? Um, well, this one, it was, it, it you know, sometimes the good ones take quite a long time, as, as I've learned. Sometimes they move fast. And um, this one, actually, um, one of our business partners um, in Australia, Jody Madison, actually called me. I feel like it was 2017, so about five, six years ago. And um, we were so busy. We were, you know, having kind of one of our busiest times. And she called me and she said, you have to read this book. You know, it's just completely incredible. It, it has made up stories written all over it. This I've never read anything like it. And I was like, no, no, we're too busy, we're too busy. And as so often I've said, with some of the best stuff that we've ended up doing, and Jodie's passion was so strong, and it has been throughout the whole making. And I read, I started reading it, and I saw exactly what she saw. Holly's writing was so distinctive and incredibly beautiful. And like nothing I'd read, which I think is always the hallmark for what makes me want to get involved in something. And so that's kind of when we started the journey with Holly to start adapting it to the screen. The term this has made up stories written all over it. What are the qualities you're looking for when you when you're reading these books? Well, you know, obviously we've you know our mandate really is obviously putting women um, in front of the camera, and that that's obviously a mandate that I had even before this company um, with Pacific Standard. When we started made up stories, it was also putting a, a kind of female voices behind the camera as well, and and that includes you know really prominent female authors and screenwriters um, and filmmakers and um, and and you know and talent, including like you know amazing up and coming female production designers, and so. Obviously, I think actually this was since since Big Little Lies. Actually, this was kind of the biggest female ensemble that had come my way. Even though obviously we've made a lot of stuff with females at the centre, this had such a massive female ensemble and such a complicated female ensemble. So, you know, for me, it just had everything that I was looking for, as well as obviously you know finding a way to kind of entertain people, but also dealing with some really incredibly important issues. Issues that, to be honest, I don't think I realised was such a um, a big problem in Australia until I kind of started spending more time back here a few years ago. Interesting. I would like to circle back to that, um, that very theme. Um, but I, I want to stay on this uh, subject of adaptation because, um, you know, I'm old enough to remember when, when somebody would adapt a book, it was almost always for a movie, right? I mean, that was sort of the, the main canvas right. is that you would, you know, you would adapt The Great Gatsby or those classic, you know, Huckleberry Finn or uh, To Kill yeah. a Mockingbird, and they did result in some wonderful movies. But um, tell me a little bit about sort of, you know, how you decide what would be suitable for a series rather than a feature. I mean, what goes into that? And, and what are... 
I've always wanted to know, like, what, um, what are, when, a, when an adaptation goes wrong, why is that? Like, do you have any more insight into that? Yeah, look, I think it's such a, number one, I think it's a really complicated process, obviously. Um, you know, for me, it's so funny you talk about films. I mean, I still, I call myself a film producer because Big Little Lies was the first series I ever made. And, you know, because I really kind of came up under the tutelage of Sidney Pollock and Anthony Mangella, and that's kind of where I learned my love of adaptation. No one was really talking about TV back then. And, you know, Anthony was kind of painting on this big canvas with these amazing books of The English Patient, The Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, and so, you know, my first big adaptation through my own company was a movie called Warm Bodies. And, and same thing, I just fell in love with the voice and the book. Um, and so... For me, it's always about that. It's about it's about you know an instinct. Have I seen it before? It does this feel distinctive? You know, can I see this? Can I can I imagine you know it being dramatized on the screen? And so that that was always my kind of barometer for film. Big Little Lies was the first thing I read where it felt so definitive that it had to be a TV show because of the kind of scope of it, because of the ensemble nature of it, and I think because of the complexity of the issues, particularly around the issue of domestic violence, and really being able to do that justice. And so when we get a piece of material, we often kind of make that assessment. You know, I think particularly you know, a movie that I made last year called Luckiest Girl Alive, it always felt like it had to be a film that kind of um, the kind of narrative propulsion of it to be really inside her experience and her voice. It was a very singular voice um, in Arnie Finelli's uh, voice. So that felt obviously a film to me. And so I think, but, but one of the things we really do is we often just talk to writers um, who we're thinking about um, adapting it um, to really kind of have that conversation with us and, and see what they think and, and see where, you know, where they're, um, feelings like it's not always as obvious as it was with something like Lost Flowers and, and Big Little Lies, but it really is. It's I think it's a very thoughtful process and sometimes it's more obvious um, than others. Um, in terms of what can go wrong, um, you know, for me, one of the things that I talk to novelists about You'll notice there's a big theme here coming back to writers, right? We are nothing without writers. And I'm, I say that broadly, novelists and screenwriters. Um, and it's a big conversation right now. And it's such an important one because my work is literally nothing without writers. And so um, I think for me, I feel a great responsibility, as did particularly in, in this particular project, Lost Flowers, um, Jody and I and Steve felt very responsible very early. Like we are your gatekeepers to a novel that is beloved. And so the choice to then who is going to adapt that, I feel like we are passing that responsibility on somewhat and then the choice of who's going to direct it. And I think for me, one of the secret ingredients, it's not always the case with the work we do, but for the most part, we try and have one or two filmmakers involved because we really do believe in um, authorship and we believe in kind of, uh, for, for certainly the work that I've done, the best work, I think um, the fewer vo voices involved in kind of maintaining that solid creative vision has been a successful formula for me and it's a process I enjoy immensely.
You know, that is so interesting because I think what you're getting at is preserving the act of reading, which is a singular experience, and it is that singular voice, and it is that one-on-one -on -one relationship with the reader and the artist. And so it makes complete sense that you want to retain that that singular vision, you know, to kind of keep it that at that level of intensity. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Tell us, yeah, tell us a little bit. Um, this this series, I just I almost cannot describe it. It is so <laughs> like you said, it's layered, it's transgenerational, it moves through time and space in the most kind of mind bending ways. So in five minutes or less, but tell us a little bit about the title character, Alice Hart, and then uh, June, the character played by Sigourney Weaver, whom we saw in that clip. But can you just just give us a little background on who these women are and how they relate? Yeah, yeah, without giving too much away, because it's a story that does, um, as you know, really unfold through the seven hours of watching it. And, and uh, there's, you know, everyone's holding secrets and a lot of secrets get revealed through that, through the journey of the TV show. But essentially, you know, at the beginning of the show, we meet this, you know, beautiful nine-year-old girl, Alice Hart, um, who is, you know, being raised um, by a father who is incredibly abusive. And um, there's a fire at the beginning of uh, the series and she ends up going to live with a grandmother she's never met, Sigourney Weaver's character, June Hart. And she ends up going to where June lives, which is a flower farm called Thornfield. And really that's the kind of catalyst for, um, you know, what will in some ways define the rest of, you know, her journey and her life. Um, but ultimately, like so many things that, 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 that I do, it's really a story of female friendship and resilience. And um, I think really relatable to so many people in terms of not just kind of breaking cycles of trauma, but, you know, just really, you know, breaking cycles and, and what we inherit, you know, from our pasts and um, from our families and, you know, how do we kind of, you know, break through some of those cycles. And I think, again, that doesn't necessarily have to mean cycle of violence. I think that can mean a lot of things for a lot of people, which is why I was attracted to it so much. Well, and it also, um, just visually, this, this, this story takes place in New South Wales, the beautiful coastline of New South Wales, and then it moves um, to another part of Australia, equally stunning. The natural world is such a huge part of the storytelling. Um, talk to us a little bit. I mean, I, I'm assuming since you're from there that you were familiar with the locations, but um, just if you if you want to talk to us a little bit about just the process yeah. itself. Yeah, sure. process. I, no, it's funny because you you think that, right? It's like we, we never really explore as much as we should the places that we're from. And look, I've been away from Australia for 20-something years, so... Um, I really didn't know it as well. And, you know, I mean, this is where you'll hear me, the funny Bruna come out because, you know, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a little bit scared of nature. <laughs> I'm the least likely, and I, and I always end up making things that are set in nature. And I'm like, oh, yes, I need to, I need to, you know, I need to go make something set in a studio where I don't have to engage with nature, but I always end up drawn to these incredible things. And and again, it was really, you know, our producing part of jo Jody and Steve, who spent a lot more time actually on location and in nature than I did, because, you know, Australia is vast and um, we shot in the most amazing places that I had never been to, you know, northern New South Wales, the Hunter Valley region where you'll see Thornfield um, created. 
um, the desert in Alice Springs, you know, um, which is a rente land, the, you know, indigenous people. Um, it, it's incredible. It is like nothing you've ever seen. And you can imagine, and, and this is from someone who has, you know, really been lucky enough to travel the world. And I think for me, Glenton Ivan, the filmmaker, one of the things he was really drawn to was the, the kind of opportunity to showcase and see parts of Australia that people just don't know. And also you said the word exactly, Anne, to kind of see the elements at play, you know, the water, the fire that really exists in this show. It, these were really important components um, for Glendon to showcase. And and that's where, you know, every member of the team becomes so crucial. Um, I I think it's actually one of the most visually stunning shows that I've been ever been involved with, and that's thanks to you know, amazing people behind the camera at, at, at every level. Let's see an example of this visual storytelling at work. We're going to take a look at a clip from episode three. Let's watch. What do you see? Flowers? Women. Only women. Thornfield is a flower farm. It's also a safe place for women to come and to heal. This is a refuge. Mm-hmm. And all of your poking about with police and lawyers puts all of it at risk. Every woman here. We love Alice. We're looking after her. It's what we do here. Now, do you really want to jeopardize all of this and Alice for your own needs? Love that saying. <laughs> oh, and the, the, the majestic Sigourney Weaver. Now, oh my God. Well, you know, and you had said earlier, Bruna, that, you know, you have made women's centric stories your mission, if I may, before it was chic, if you know, if you if you want to put it that way, um, this, you know, this has been this has been your life's work, arguably. And yeah. and I was wondering, I, I know a little bit about your life, but I'm wondering, um, I want you to talk to us a little bit about your your childhood and your 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 growing up. And maybe how some of the themes here in Lost Flowers of Alice Hart might have chimed with you in a in a deeply personal yeah. way. Oh, you're gonna make me cry, and I'm like, I feel like I'm on Barbara Walters now. No, I'm kidding. Um, it is obviously, you know, and I think a lot of the stories that I've been attracted to. I was raised by a single mother, um, in essentially a housing estate, a housing commission, house of welfare, um, uh, with a big Italian family. So I was raised by a family of women, I think, which was, you know, why this story is so resonant to me. And, um, you know, I still, I think, I think one of the things that, because pe people will say, why, you know, why do you think you found some success? And I say, look, I, honestly, I think in some ways, um, the background I came from is a bit of a, given me a bit of a superpower in that, like, I'm not afraid to take risks um, because I'm, you know, I've, I've grown up, you know, I grew up with nothing really, and I'm not afraid to, to lose it. And I think I'm a bit of a, uh, a scrappy kind of fighter in a way. Um, so I think that, you know, a lot of 
when you were up with a single mother who was really kind of given up everything to raise, you know, four children on her own, um, I think it does define you and it does define the way you look at the world. And, um, you know, I really kind of sought refuge in the arts and um, in education. And so for me, you know, it's such an important message to, you know, as someone said to me years ago, like a lot of people talk about when they go to Ivy League schools and, um, you know, where, where they went to school and what, what doesn't seem to happen as much as people, I suppose, like me talking about where they came from, because, and I think it's a really important message is that, you know, let it, let it define you in the right way. Let it, boy, you don't let it be a negative in your life. You know, if you didn't have the resources or, you know, go to the, what what is perceived as the right schools. Um, you know, I dropped out of college multiple times. I never finished, um, which was always kind of a, you know, a bit of a bugaboo that I had, but my path was, you know, different. And I think it was one that was, you know, very kind of immersed in seeing the world and, and, and life and learning about life. And so, you know, for me, I do think that does give me a slightly different perspective in terms of the way I look at, you know, the things I want to put into the world. And, um, you know, look, ultimately, I think it's about empathy. I think the best actors have empathy. I think the best writers have empathy. I think the best producers have empathy. Um, and this is a moment, I think, in our culture where empathy is just so important. You know, it, when you mentioned the Ivy League school thing, in terms of the culture of Hollywood, of which you're a part, you know, the, we, we talk a lot about diversity and equity, but we don't talk a lot about, about class diversity and equity. Yeah. And just like yeah. you said, these differences in backgrounds and honoring all of those backgrounds and not honoring them, like, you know, craving them and, and needing them badly, you know, to be able to to tell better stories. And that, that kind of segues into where we are right now with the business. Obviously, we're in the midst of a big strike, writer strike and actor strike. There's going to be a meeting tomorrow between the writers, negotiators and the producers. I don't, do you have any thoughts, yeah, feelings I mean, about I, where things stand? Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, I obviously, again, uh, my career is defined by writers. I mean, I think more than any anything. I mean, I talk, I've talked for years about, you know, it always starts with the words. And I, inclu I really include, um, you know, fiction novelists in that too, you know, for me. And screenwriters, you know, I mean, they are some of my favourite people, you know, some of my best and, uh, you know, most exciting relationships are with writers. And so, you know, obviously there's there, this fight is important. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, I think I, like everyone else, wish it wasn't happening at this time, given what we've just all been through. But the time is the time, you know, when, you know, the, the contracts are up, it's time for discussion. Um, the business has changed so much. And so I really understand why um, this needs to happen. I, like everyone else, am very glad that conversations seem to be resuming because, you know, my big concern is also our crews and all those people working below the line who are really suffering also in this moment um, and have for years coming off, obviously, what's been a very trying period for so many people. Um, so, yeah, I obviously... I'd love it to, you know, be over, but I absolutely understand why it's happening. And so, you know, um, I really hope, you know, that that we come through this and, you know, everyone fa feels like, you know, that a fair and equitable deal has been reached. Indeed. Well, and, you know, it's interesting because I think you have a you have a, a distinctive valence on this just because you are kind of you did come of age as a producer during that age of streaming. And I know that you felt that it was a boon for, for creative people, certainly for storytellers and content creators. But are there are there parts of that model that could stand to be improved, do you think? 
Yeah, look, I think, I think, look, I think like anything, right? It's it, everything's kind of it is it has to work itself out, I think. And look, my the way that we've set up our business has been that we've been able to work with um, everyone. You know, uh, we've never just worked with one streamer, for instance. And I've had so many experiences, and and my only barometer is if I have a bad experience, I don't repeat it. Um, you know, because I do feel that the day-to-day and where do you do business and and whether people are fair um, is really important and how people are treated is is very important. So, look, I've had incredible experiences at most of the streamers. Um, By the way, including Amazon Prime, who just made my latest show. And for anyone that's seen it, so much props to them for, like, being brave enough to make it because it is not, you know, it's not an easy show to say yes to. It's a really complicated drama. And so, obviously, that, it buoys my spirits. It buoyed my spirits when Netflix made a movie I'd been developing for nine years, you know, about, you know, also about trauma, like is Girl Alive. And so, you know, I obviously um, am engaging with a lot of the streamers um, as well as, you know, the HBOs and, um, you know, all, all of the, you know, kind of more traditional. I haven't, I really didn't not come up in the age of broadcast TV. I'd never, I've never made a broadcast show. Um, so I, I don't have so, so much to compare it to because, um, again, Big Lies was my first TV show. Um, and and more importantly, I think for me, the moment that I keep waiting for, which I'm praying there is a bit of a renaissance, is movies and people going back to the movies because my first love will and always be um, making films and, you know, people going to the cinema to see them. So obviously, you know, during the pandemic in Australia, we were very lucky that, you know, people really kind of went back to the cinema to see Australian films during the pandemic here, which really lifted my spirits. And and so I've been waiting for that moment in America and I'm hoping this is it. I'm hoping this is a kind of turning point and a reminder that, you know, there's there's community in, you know, that experience, that collective experience of seeing things um, in a cinema. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's, that's actually the thing I'm most excited about right now. Of course, we're, we're speaking in the, in the, the, the backwash of the tsunami that is Barbenheimer, um, (laughs) which speaks to what you're talking about. I mean, just the enthusiasm of audiences coming to see these two movies, um, and, and especially Barbie in terms of what you've been doing and what you've been dedicating your life to telling women's stories, you know, talking about female experience. Um, personally, I am shocked, amazed and gratified that audiences have embraced the message of Barbie so warmly. You know, I was I was not sure they would, frankly. And I'm wondering how you see it and like, is this a good bellwether for you in terms of the kind of work you want to be doing, you know, from here forward? Full disclosure, I have because I got off a plane from Europe and I'd been gone about five weeks. I've not seen it yet, but I knew it was going to be successful. I had every feeling and partly because I have a 10-year-old daughter and it's all she talked about for six months leading up to the release. And and also because partly because when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, I want to see this movie. And and look, I'm a massive, I haven't seen it, but I'm a massive Greta Gerwig fan, Lady Bird, and and her version of Little Women are two of my favourite films. And in fact, I just rewatched um, Little Women while I was travelling. And so, you know, the thing for me, I did, I did have a really strong sense. I had a strong sense that it would kind of take the world by storm. It just felt 
also kind of like what people needed in this moment. I, I think that my only bugaboo, which I know is also shared by other women, and is this idea that, you know, and, and you know, it, I'm in two minds about this because obviously it's it is so exciting. She is the, you know, it is she's the first female director to, you know, have such massive hit. But the idea that we still have to say that, you know, I mean, when was the last time you heard anyone say, you know, someone was the first male director to have, you know, a massive success? You just don't hear that modifier ever, ever, ever used. Um, and and that's a bugaboo of mine, and you've probably heard me talk about it many times. Um, it's it's the same bugaboo I have that where people presume only women will watch Lost Flowers, for instance. They won't. Men will love it just as much as women if they watch, you know. And so, you know, forget about like her being the the you know the first woman to have such success. Like it's it's a massive juggernaut success regardless you know and wow, so exactly. that's what I look at and it gives you know really again it just it's been so kind of gratifying to watch and 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 honestly just you know hear her talk about the process and and talk about you know the kind of way it came together and you know it's super exciting I can't wait to see it I have tickets booked to the cinema um it was really exciting I actually went to go book for this weekend and it was this the and I had to have a good seats obviously and it was almost sold out everywhere and this is I think the third weekend and I was like this is amazing and oh, yeah. I, I know it's amazing because the women who work with me some of them have seen it three or four times already oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, you, guys, you might want to, I'm like, you might want to expand. You got to get out there and see some other things. But it's, you know, that's amazing. That's a phenomenon. And so, yeah. yes, I'm, I'm thinking about this a lot. And I'm so excited. I mean, I'm so excited and, to and see to it. Your, and I'm making my brother come back with me. Indeed. And and to your point, men are seeing it, by the way. You know, they're they're yes, also going to, you know, the, the second time I saw it, there were lots of men in that audience. And I, you reminded me when you say, like, let's stop with the, with the qualifiers. Gloria Stein, one of Gloria Steinem's favorite aphorisms is, you know who has power by who gets the noun and who gets the adjective. <laughs> Never heard that. That's just that And then who has to have the qualifier. So um, I, I completely agree with that. And I live for that day that we, we can just say filmmaker and that's, that's perfectly accurate enough. Um, I wanna swing back to the strike just very briefly because another issue at in debate at debate in the strike is AI artificial intelligence yeah. and again I think that's germane you know in terms of adapting I'm wondering do you see a role for AI in being helpful when you're when you're breaking down a novel or just you know in terms of just doing structure or just that kind of you know that first go that first pass I mean not me I mean look I'm not I'm a bit old school I think and and I think it's the same you know, I remember, and you brought it up earlier, I remember when, um, obviously, back when we had Pacific Standard and we were, you know, obviously telling stories about women. And then there was a, there was a, then there was a few years where a lot of people were starting companies and, and really focused on women. And, and I remember someone saying to me, well, you know, are you annoyed that, you know, there's going to be so many other people out there doing it? And I was like, no, you know, like, of course I'm not annoyed. It's amazing. Like, there's so many stories to tell. And also, ultimately, Everything that has ever worked for me, be it film or TV, I feel like I haven't seen before. You know, I mean, that's what we aim for, right? We aim for this kind of, I mean, even Barbie's a great example. No one, no one, you know, AI wouldn't have told you to make that version of a movie to cater to fans who, you know, uh, like this iconic doll, you know? So I just, 
I really believe in, you know, the authenticity of like the soul and the heart and originality. And so, and I believe in the conversation and I believe in the process. So I'm not honestly particularly worried about it. You know, I probably know more about it just because I have young children and, you know, it's obviously what they're, you know, being exposed to and they're growing up with. And, you know, I do think like all technology, uh, by the way, I'm not saying it's not something to be worried about. I think that the guilds are 100% right to make it a, a valid concern and we must, you know, kind of protect against it. Um, but certainly in my life, I don't see it playing a part in the way we do things. I have time for one more question, and this is the, the the lightning round question we ask a lot of people. But is there a particular writer or director or actor or artist that you are just dying to work with? Somebody you've been chasing, whether literally or figuratively. Chasing. Um, well, yeah, there's probably. Oh my god, I I really wish I was prepared for that question because there's always so many that I'm like, um, well, Greta Gerwig's an obvious one. Right? I'm not going to say Greta Gerwig. Um, you know, I, I've i always been, like, you know, really um, kind of in awe of Catherine Bigelow, for instance. You know, I, I think she was one of the first people that, you know, I saw just out there kind of making these. I love it. I love action. I, I'm like a secret kind of, you know, um, it's like my guilty pleasure. I love, like, really big action stuff. So, um, you know, I would love to work with someone like that who I don't think people, you know, people don't necessarily put me in that space. And um, I kind of think what she's done over the years is astounding. Um, so she's someone that, you know, I'd like the opportunity to work with one day. Let us make it so. I think that's a that's the, a brilliant answer. I thoroughly agree. I want to see you two work <laughs> together. I wish we had more time. This has been a wonderful conversation, Bruna, but unfortunately we are out of time. Thanks, Anne. It was so good talking to you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.